Welcome everyone to Fair Territory, back after a one-week hiatus, and my goodness, there is plenty to talk about in this sport. I sort of wish I could get to every contender today. We're going to try to get to most of them in one form or another, but there is just a ton to get through, a lot going on in this sport right now. But let's start with the team that is now threatening the Mets and the Padres for the most disappointing in baseball. I would start with the New York Yankees. Second highest payroll in the game. Worst season in decades. Last place in the AL East. 1-8 against the Red Sox. I could go on and on. And actually, I will go on and on. Let's take a look real quickly at how the mighty have fallen. At just where the Yankees have fallen short this season. Their vaunted offense. Scoring. Runs. 4.22 runs per game. That's 23rd in the majors. Their vaunted rotation, Garrett Cole, Carlos Ronan, and company, 4.81 ERA, 25th in the majors. Now, obviously, Cole is not the problem. The ERA without him would be even higher, 5.42. That's the rotation ERA. And the Yankees' playoff odds are now down to 0.5%. So people will ask, okay, what happens next? As Brandon Cuddy writes today in The Athletic, Probably what we're going to see in the short term is something of a youth movement. They're going to call up some of their kids. We're talking about infielder Oswald Peraza, outfielder Everson Pereira, and eventually catcher Austin Wells. But that's not what Yankee fans want to talk about. What they want to talk about is how this organization is going to turn around. And a lot of them, understandably, are pointing to general manager Brian Cashman as the primary culprit here. I would say that's a fair assessment. But I also do not expect the Yankees to make a move with Cashman. He has three more years left on his contract after this season. He's 24, 25, and 26, signed through all those seasons. And beyond that, this guy's put together 25 straight winning seasons. Now, I know fans get frustrated hearing that, saying, well, we haven't won a World Series since 2009. Yeah, I get it. But in the bigger picture, Brian Cashman, overall, not the last couple of seasons, overall, has done a really good job. At the same time, you've got to start asking, okay, then where does the change come? Aaron Boone? Well, he's signed only through next year, and yes, people grumble about him too. I've questioned some of his pitching decisions during his tenure as Yankees manager, and yet right now the Yankees are number one in bullpen ERA. So that's an area of the game that a manager can affect more than almost any other. Boone's doing just fine there. To fire him... Okay, you want to do that? Fine, go ahead. But you know what? It would be almost embarrassing given that the primary problem here, as we've discussed, is roster construction, and that falls on the general manager. So, what does change? Obviously, something has to change, probably multiple things. What is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. People ask, okay, will the Yankees go away from analytics? No, they're not going away from analytics. No team is going away from analytics. They're here to stay. Now, you can quibble with the application of the analytics. You can quibble with the execution of the analytics. But look at all the teams that the Yankees envy. The Astros, the Rays, the Dodgers. These are teams that make heavy use of analytics. Now, certainly over the years, fans and even some old school people within the game, perhaps especially some old school people within the game, have complained that the balance is out of whack. I would suggest that with the Yankees, perhaps it is out of whack. And I would also suggest that 
the complaints that some of the old school people in the game have right now, that they are getting excluded, are the same complaints the analytically minded ones had. Hey, we were getting excluded. It's no better this way than it was that way. There has to be balance. And in a lot of areas in baseball, not just the Yankees, this has been lost. That said, what do you do? Well, maybe you'd start looking at the way you've made some decisions over the past few years. They've clearly failed in this regard. You can go right through this roster. Start with Stanton. That, to me, was the original sin. I've written that. That's the first move that got them away from being any kind of athletic, non-lumbering team. They've always sort of been that. They're the Bronx Bombers, right? But Stanton, LeMahieu, Hicks, Gallo, right down the line. Pitching decisions as well. Frankie Montas. Oh, I forgot Donaldson. Include him in there. One decision after another has backfired. They've got to look at their processes. They've got to figure some things out here. I'm not sure what the answer is, but again, clearly things are not working. Now, Brian Cashman's greatest qualities, general manager, or one of his greatest qualities, would be, I would say, that he is a survivor. He will survive this. The question is, what does he do to make things better? How does he turn this around? And if I'm Hal Steinbrenner, I'm saying to Brian Cashman, okay, you're going to stay. This is one bad year, one losing year at least. I know there have been other disappointing years recently. But, Brian, you've got to tell me now, how are things going to change? Because things have to change. Now, obviously the Yankees are not the only disappointing team in this sport. There are quite a few. And there are quite a few that are high-priced. We've talked endlessly about the Mets. But now let's talk about a team on the West Coast, the San Diego Padres. And I want to start by taking you through the National League wildcard standings because this is the most damning indictment of the Padres that there can be right now. If you look at the National League wildcard standings, Phillies, good team. Two and a half games up. San Francisco Giants, they've lost five straight series. They're 21st in runs per game. The Cubs, fifth in runs, pretty good team. I see them as a legitimate wildcard contender and a contender for the NL Central title along with the Brewers. Arizona, huh, they just went through a 7-25 stretch. They've come out of it nicely. Young team. Cincinnati, young team. 26th in the majors in ERA, 28th in rotation ERA. Miami Marlins, 26th in the majors in runs per game. We are not talking here about juggernauts, folks. And look at the San Diego Padres. They are six games behind those teams with the third highest payroll in the sport. So what the heck is happening here? Okay, let's talk about the Padres a little bit and let's look at what has gone wrong. Start with their various ranks and it's kind of surprising. Rotation ERA, third. Bullpen ERA, 12th, not bad. Outs above average, that's the StatCast defensive metric. They are first. Even with Cronenworth playing essentially a new position and Tatis playing essentially a new position, though, of course, dominating that position. Run differential. Padres are 10th overall, runs per game 15th. When you look at these numbers, what do you see? You see a team that probably should be one of the 12 playoff teams. Yet the Padres are not even close to that, and I'll show you why right here. Here are their records in one-run games and extra innings. In one-run games, they are 6-19. and 19. In extra innings, they are 0-10. Their playoff odds are down to 11.7%. The San Diego Padres, the team we all thought was going to tear through Major League Baseball, has done nothing of the sort. 
What has gone wrong here? Well, there'll be plenty of time for postmortems as we go forward. I don't see the Padres coming out of it. Now, I've been waiting for them all season. We all have been waiting for them all season. They have not come close to meeting expectations. I wrote, I believe in May, after a series at Dodger Stadium, that the Padres were more a collection of individuals than a team. I still believe that. There is something missing here. It's not the manager. I know Padres fans, some of them are clamoring about Bob Melvin saying, ah, that's why the one-run game record is bad. That's why the extra inning record is bad. No, 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 no. Bob Melvin historically has done well in both of those regards, as Dennis Lynn of The Athletic has written. Bob Melvin is not the issue here. The issue here is something in the formula, in the mix, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but it hasn't worked. And the Padres are going to need to take a hard look in the offseason at the way they've put this team together. They've got some free agent defections that they're looking at too. Blake Snell, Josh Hader. They've got a number of things that they're going to have to look at this offseason because this has been as big a disappointment as the Mets, as the Yankees, in some ways even bigger. San Diego Padres, not good. All right, let's move to a happier story now. A team on the West Coast that is doing big things. I'm talking about the Seattle Mariners. Six straight wins. 15 and 4. 15 and 4 since the deadline, since they traded their closer, Paul Seawald. That was actually on July 30th. 15 and 4 since then. Now, that was a curious trade. Trade your closer in the middle of a pennant race. It almost seems like a hedge at best, maybe a soft sell. You're not really trying, maybe, but that's not how the Mariners saw it. They never looked at it in that regard. What they saw was the opportunity to improve their offense short-term and long-term, with Dominic Canzone and Josh Rojas, two of the players they got from the Diamondbacks, and also help their long-term possibilities with an infield prospect they also acquired in the deal named Ryan Bliss. Now, it hasn't really worked from an offensive standpoint. Until yesterday, when Canzone had four hits and a 7-6 win over the Astros, Canzone hadn't hit, Rojas hadn't hit. So from that perspective, eh, Hasn't been such a big deal. But the trade has improved their overall depth, improved them against right-handed pitching. Both Canzone and Rojas are left-handed hitters and should help them going forward here even this season. What's interesting about the deal is that when the Mariners traded Seawalt, they were doing it from a position of strength. They had a very deep bullpen and they felt they could withstand his loss and still be really competitive as they went forward. That's happened. That bullpen since the deadline has been one of the best in the game. Hasn't suffered really at all. Four different relievers have earned saves. They're in good shape. So here are the Mariners. And of course, I haven't even mentioned Julio Rodriguez. And they've finally come around. And yes, Julio is a big part of why they've come around. Their offense is the major reason they have come around. Let's take a look at where they have gone month by month in terms of runs per game. March, April, not very good, 4.29. May, a little bit better, 4.61. June, regression to 4.50. Then in July, starting about July 1st, they really started to come on. 4.77 runs per game in July. And in August, 5.39. Julio, of course, with his tear of late, is a huge part of that. But here's a team that suddenly looks rather dangerous. They hold the third wildcard position in the American League. They are only three games out of first place in the American League West, just three games behind the Texas Rangers. And should they get into the postseason, which now looks 
somewhat likely. Their odds are up to 60%. Should they get in, no team is going to want to face a rotation led by Luis Castillo, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert. So the Mariners, really interesting the way they've gone about it and what they've done. A lot of this story, again, is their offense finally playing the way the club officials thought that they would perform all year long. This was a disappointing team offensively for the first half of the season, an underperforming team. But now the Mariners are who they thought they were going to be. Time now for the inside dish. This is the portion of the show where I go inside a story I might have written previously or inside a trend in the game or simply taking a deeper look at something going on in the game right now. And that's what I want to do today. I want to go inside the deadline and take a look at some of the early results. Now we're only three weeks into it and I know some fans will say, Ken, small sample size, we can't judge yet. No, sorry. With deadline trades, the whole point is small sample size. That's what this is. Now granted, this is a small sample size within a small sample size, but let's just look at how some of these teams have fared, five in particular, just to take kind of an overview of what is going on in the sport with several different clubs. Let's start with a team we just got done talking about, the Padres, and the players that they added at the deadline. They took an unusual approach for them in that they actually tried to round out their roster and not go star, star, star. Well, it hasn't worked. Look at the numbers. Rich Hill, 9.32 ERA as a starter. Scott Barlow, 5.91 ERA as a reliever. Gary Cooper, decent addition. He's only hitting 208, but his OPS is 780. He's gotten on base, slugged a little bit. G-Man Choi, 0-0-0 batting average. That's only in 16 plate appearances. He does have five walks, which is why he has a 313 on base percentage and OPS right now on the 10-day injured list. So for the Padres, this hasn't given them the boost that they needed. It hasn't really worked at all. All right, let's move forward here. Another team that was quite active at the deadline, that would be the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, this hasn't gone so well either. CJ Crone, and 217 batting average, 563 OPS. Randall Grichik, 164 batting average, 529 OPS. Both underperforming. Lucas Giolito, he was their big ad, the starter that they thought could really help them. His ERA is 8.14. Now it's skewed a little bit by one bad start. Three of his four have been okay. But what you need from a guy like Lucas Giolito when you acquire him at the deadline is for him to really get going right away. Hasn't happened. Ronaldo Lopez, the reliever from the White Sox, much better. But overall, the Angels have played poorly since the deadline. You can't blame it on the players that they've added. It's been a team-wide slump, team-wide malaise. But those moves really haven't helped out very much at all. The Brewers, a team that did some things at the deadline that I really liked. Carlos Santana, Marcana, Andrew Chafin. Hasn't really worked out so great so far, even though the Brewers continue to lead the NL Central and overall, again, are outperforming their talent, in my estimation. Carlos Santana, his numbers are a little deceiving. Only a 181 batting average, only a 628 OPS, but he does have six home runs, including some big ones of late. Mark Canna really hasn't hit much. 228 batting average, 676 OPS. And Andrew Chafin as a reliever has not been what they wanted. His ERA is almost 12. Again, small sample size. Now, let's look at two teams that have done a little bit better at the deadline. And I'm talking first about the Miami Marlins. The Marlins, a team with offensive struggles all year long, 
added two hitters, one of whom was struggling and one who was just a guy who crushes the ball. That's Jake Berger. He's done quite well. Jake Berger, 359 batting average, 954 OPS with the Marlins. Josh Bell was a mess with the Guardians. Yet since joining the Marlins, maybe it's being back in the NL East, I don't know. 288 batting average, 962 OPS. He's been a huge addition. The two relievers, Jorge Lopez and Ryan Weathers, have not fared well. Weathers hasn't pitched all that much. But at the same time, it's the offense that the Marlins really needed, and they got it. And now the team that right now looks like the biggest winner at the trade deadline, and that would be the Texas Rangers. My goodness, this has worked out great. They needed pitching. They got pitching. Jordan Montgomery, 2.50 OERA so far. Scherzer wasn't really good yesterday, but his ERA with the Rangers is still 2.66. Chris Stratton, the reliever who came with Montgomery from the Cardinals, 1.42 ERA. And Aroldis Chapman, the first edition, the one they made quite some time ago, actually, 1.69 ERA. That is what you want at the deadline. Now, obviously, we've got, what, six weeks left in the season. Things will play out further. And yes, we'll have a better sample to look at. But when you make those moves, the whole point is to get immediate impact. In some cases, that's happening. In some cases, that's not. Oftentimes, the deadline trades prove kind of a nothing burger. They don't really have the impact that we all imagine when these deals are made. But at the same time, we saw it with the Atlanta Braves in 2021. You can change your team with the right additions. And the Texas Rangers certainly have put themselves in a great spot. They haven't played as well in the last few days. Losers of four straight just got swept by Milwaukee. But the Rangers overall remain one of the teams that I expect to see playing deep into the postseason. Here we go with the Dude and Dork of the Week. Dude of the Week, there are always multiple candidates. And this week, Dallas Keuchel on Sunday taking a perfect game into the seventh inning. Six and a third brilliant innings, as it turned out. Just a tremendous resurgent performance from a guy who looked down and out. He's a candidate. Pete Alonso. Now, you might think he's a dork of the week candidate for throwing Mason Wynn's first hit into the stands. But Alonso handled that whole situation with such class, apologizing profusely, giving Wynn a few gifts. No, he actually would be a dude of the week candidate. But this week, there is only one dude. It is the player who broke an American League National League record with 17 hits in a four-game span. I'm talking, of course, about Julio Rodriguez. And those 17 hits, they weren't all singles. Let's look at what he did over those four games. The impact was enormous for a team that is surging right now. First game, four for six, double, two RBIs, two stolen bases. Second game. Five for five, home run, double, five RBIs. Third game, four for five, home run, RBI, two stolen bases. The fourth game, this is when he started to slouch. Four for six, stolen base. Julio Rodriguez is becoming and has been, of late, the player the Mariners signed to this long-term deal for a very good reason. They believe he is a superstar in this league. He didn't always play like it in the first half, was inconsistent, but my goodness, now he is turning it on. Dork of the week, I would imagine some fans might think, okay, here's the spot for Wander Franco, who is currently on the restricted list as Major League Baseball investigates allegations that he had relationships with underage women. This is a situation, though, that we don't put in this category. This is a whole different deal. Dork of the week, I generally reserve for guys who underperform, do something stupid, something along those lines. 
Juan Franco also is going through a process right now. We don't know if he did what he is alleged to have done. We don't know much at all. So players, like anyone else, are entitled to due process, which he is getting in this investigation, you would assume. And they're entitled to the presumption of innocence. So let's not put Wando Franco in this category. The next question would be, okay then, who is the Dork of the Week? Well, our Dork of the Week is a group of players, a team that actually has won this award, if you want to call it that, multiple times this season. We've given this honor, or dishonor, to their general manager, Brian Cashman. We've given it to their offense when Aaron Judge was injured, and now we're going to give it to the entire team. I talked about the Yankees in the first segment and how disappointing they've been. Losing the way they have, okay, that's one thing, having a losing record, yes. Getting swept by the Red Sox in Yankee Stadium, the fourth-place Red Sox, not exactly the 27 Yankees in the version of the Red Sox that they currently are. New York Yankees, Dorks of the Week. It's been hot and sunny everywhere lately, so protecting your eyes is important, which is why I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Shady Rays. They're an independent sunglasses company that has a world-class product that is just as good as the expensive sunglasses that are out there. They have durable frames, extremely clear optics, and they're great for outdoor adventures. But what really separates them is the best protection plan in the industry. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair with no questions asked. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free for 30 days. So you can buy and wear your Shady Rays with the confidence that they have your back. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime, Shady Rays is helping communities all over the place. Shady Rays are now giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code F-O-U-L for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. The shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Looking ahead this week on Fox, I've got Twins hosting the Texas Rangers. These are two teams that I have not actually seen in person this year, so I'm really looking forward to it. And believe it or not, as good as the Rangers are and as star-studded as they are, I'm actually more intrigued by the Twins right now because they have a collection of position players that is going really well. They actually have a surplus, and they're trying to figure out when to get Byron Buxton into the outfield, if he can physically handle that. He hasn't been able to this season. He's had that recurring knee problem, but they will be a better defensive team if they can put him in center field, get Eduardo Julian into the DH spot, put Polanco at second, Royce Lewis at third. They have a surge of young players going on right now with Walner and Julian and some of the others as well. Just a really interesting group. And of course, their starting pitching has been outstanding all season as well. So I don't want to say the Twins are going to actually win a series in the postseason. They are not as strong as some of the teams in the East and the West. But they're probably a better team, potentially, than most of us envision right now. All right, time now for Grilling Ken. Let's get to your questions. The first question, we already touched on this a little bit, but I'll get deeper into it here. Should Seattle already regret trading Paul Seawald? The answer to that is no, and not just for the reason that I said earlier, that their bullpen has performed so well without him. Seawald is really good, and he's also a guy that had a lot of interest, trade interest, because he's got one plus years of control remaining. He is available to a team that traded for him, the Diamondbacks, as it turned out, 
not just for this season, but for next. And he has performed really well for the Diamondbacks. He's five for six in save opportunities. Six of his seven appearances have been scoreless. He had one clunker. That happens. He's a good reliever. No question about it. A really good reliever. But as I said earlier, the Mariners, they've collected a bunch of really good relievers and they could afford to move him when the return was going to be the offensive help that they desire. Now, again, we'll see if Canzone develops into an everyday player that they hope he will be. We'll see what Ryan Bliss, the prospect, can offer as well in time. But no, they do not regret trading Paul Seawald, and nor should they, the way things are turning out. Next question, where are the Brewers in the NL pecking order? Great question. This is a team that every year I have great admiration for because, as I said earlier in the show, they outperform their talent, at least in my opinion. They're doing it again this year, and now that they've got Brandon Woodruff back in the rotation, they are a pretty formidable outfit. Their offense, even with the additions of Santana and Canna, is still not where you want it to be, but they've got some young players too that are contributing, Weimer and Freelich and some others as well, Terang at second base, brilliant defender. I love what they do, and I don't see them at the same level as the Braves and the Dodgers when you get back to that pecking order question. But I do see them as a team that is potentially dangerous in the postseason. When you run out Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, you've got a shot. Ooh, this is a good one. Who should be considered for manager of the year? Well, in the American League, I see it as a two-man race between Bruce Bochy of the Rangers and Brandon Hyde of the Orioles. Those are the two standouts, in my opinion, both leading divisions. Hyde is a little bit of a different case than Bochy. Bochy is a veteran manager who inherited a team that needed to kind of figure out how to win, but had also added some big-time, big-name talent and continued to do that during the season. Hyde, of course, had a younger club, or has a younger club, that started doing some big things last year and has performed even at a higher level this season. If I had to pick right now, probably would be Hyde. In the National League, it's interesting. Best two teams are the Braves and the Dodgers. Brian Snicker, as good a job as he has done, he is not going to get the love that maybe he deserves in this race because the Braves are just such a talented team. Dave Roberts is a more interesting case because to me, the Dodgers have had a different kind of club this year. Much less pitching than in the past, much more offense. And he has had to kind of piece some things together, incorporate some younger arms. It's been one of his best challenges or biggest challenges, I should say. And he's handled it well. So he should be a strong candidate. And then there's Craig Council with the Brewers. And I talked about them outperforming their talent. He's a big reason they do that seemingly every year. There is something about the way Council runs that club, the steadiness, the acumen, all of the things that you admire in a manager, he seems to have. So Council is a strong candidate as well. Obviously, with both these races, we need to see how the season turns out, but those are some of the strong candidates. I know I'm leaving somebody out. You guys know where to find me, whether it's on X or in the comments section of The Athletic. I seem to be available. Hey, I want to thank everyone for listening, for watching. We'll be back regularly scheduled next week. You know where to find us on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple. Like us, subscribe to us. Stay with us. Hey, FT Live fam. If you're new to the party on the BetMGM Sports app, enter the promo code FOUL. 
F-O-U-L, for up to $1,000 back if your first bet loses. It's simple. Ready? Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gotta use the bonus code. 